Brian Kinney fucks, sucks, rims, rams, but never cuddles. From Slightly Unbalanced, we are still queer as folk. I'm Patrick Randall. And I'm Matt Dominguez. Today, we are talking about The End, episode 13 of season 5, and it is called We Will Survive. Oh my god, it's actually here. (laughs) Finally. (laughs) It first aired in the U.S. on August 7th, 2005. It was written by showrunners Ron Cohen and Daniel Lipman. And of course, they wrote the finale of every season of the show. And I think we've almost universally panned every finale. (laughs) Except for the first one. I think Justin getting whacked on the head with a baseball bat was... uh, We thought that was was an appropriate cliffhanger. Yeah, Yeah, we we were into that. We Will Survive was directed by Kelly Macon, a top-tier director to wrap things up. He directed 11 episodes of Queer as Folk over the years. And here's the synopsis of the series finale, We Will Survive. Michael speaks at an anti-Prop 14 press conference, but deviates away from his prepared speech when Debbie and a bunch of people we've never seen before show up. (laughs) (laughs) But they were his friends. His community. (laughs) Yes. Ted's new BF, Tad... Mm-hmm. Gets a bit obsessive, that's putting it lightly, <laughs> and freaks ev- freaks out everyone in sight. Brian and Justin call off their wedding, and Justin leaves for New York. Mel and Lindsay also hit the road and pack up their Subaru, not kidding, for the drive to their new home in Toronto. This is it, Matt. This is what years of all of our work has been about. There have been laughter, tears. Mm, yes. yes. Hate mail from people that would say, how dare you be critical of this show? The show defined my youth. Its cultural importance cannot be understated. People who have been big fans of it, people who are still discovering the podcast. So it's really great that even though this is the last episode of the series and thus the last episode of this particular podcast... I think we're going to continue on and continue to have people discover it. And that's going to be really exciting. That said, um, what's the tranny count for this episode today? Ooh, I think I only heard it once, there twice, twice, twice. Yeah. There were twice. Yes, there was one at the diner and then one at the uh, press conference. Yep. Immediately dated the show. Can't say that <sighs> anymore. No. I don't even think we should have said it. It's that bad. Uh, interestingly, I don't think that I've watched this episode since it originally aired. Really? It's been 15 years. Hey, I, you know, I've always avoided watching or like rewatching final episodes of shows that I really like because mm. in my head, if I don't watch the final episode, it's still kind of going. Well, and I think historically it's so hard for series, especially beloved series to really stick the landing. Mm. I mean, I feel like probably one of the most criticized episodes of any popular TV show is usually the finale. Like, that's what they talk about. I mean, Seinfeld, people have not been huge fans of, although I was. The, the, was it uh, St. Elsewhere? It was like a huge one. (laughs) You know, like you can find throughout history, a lot of people who, when they get to the series finale, they're going to be like, that's the most critical people will be about the show. I kind of liked uh, this particular episode because it was kind of like watching an episode that I'd never seen before that I I just didn't remember enough of it. I I remembered a couple of the high points, but 
not any of the detail. And I, I kind of like that. It was, it reminded me of this time that I came across a Star Trek, the next generation episode that I'd never seen before, like 10 years after <laughs> the series ended. And I'm like, how did I miss this? This is awesome. Right. I only remember very, very specific plot points from the finale. I don't remember the finale as a whole. Because I think it's been probably 10 years since I've seen it. So this is, uh, it was fun to to see everything build up to this finale. This episode starts out with the narration from Michael about the current state of the Queer as Folk universe, set to a song called Sleep by Dandy Warhols. They say that change is good for you, that it keeps you on your toes. Well, if that's true, I should be a fucking ballerina. Who'd have believed that Babylon would be a bombed out memory? Or that Mel and Linz would be moving to Canada. Or that Ted would at last find true love. Or that, uh, I can barely even say it, but I'll try, that Mr. Brian Kinney would ask Mr. Justin Taylor for his hand in marriage. A listener from London named Makina wrote to us pointing out that the series both starts and ends with Michael's narration and mm-hmm. was wondering if the show was being told retrospectively from Michael's point of view. I love that idea as it- Oh, I totally think I totally think so. I think that's usually the excite that's usually why narration gets used. It's always like, I remember when and it takes us back to that time. So I love that. And I, I think that's a very keen observer to, to think that's probably what Cowan and Littman were looking at, were to say, Michael is looking back on those years when it was their time at Liberty Avenue. And I love that. Well, it seems to me that retrospects are mostly limited to individual episodes in Queer's Folk, not a like series long theme. But wouldn't that have been cool if Michael told the entire series kind of like the Wonder Years? Oh, I, yeah. Maybe I think that's not. great. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not exactly like the Wonder Years, but the idea of a retrospective, of, I think, is really great. It's kind of started out that way. There's episodes here and there. I think the uh, first episode of season three, was it? When it was that black and white montage and Brian punches out Michael in the lesbian's backyard. Mm-hmm. with the leather daddies. I like that one. So those times uh, when Michael is providing narration, I've always kind of liked those. So, I mean, may- maybe that really was their aim. I mean, maybe they didn't... They didn't pull it off very well. <laughs> they pulled it off when it mattered. Yeah, yeah that's <laughs> when, they, when they decide When they decided to do it, yes. Yeah, like most things in Queer's Focus, when you try to do something on purpose, then it falls apart. When you do it on accident, then it's good. It's kind of like jazz. Yeah, yeah, it's usually just a happy accident. Right. So I guess the A story of this episode is really Brian and Justin and everything else was just wrapping up other characters. So we get started with wedding preparations. And of course, they're getting Hugo Boss suits and nothing really screams mid-aughts like Hugo Boss. <laughs> uh, this was a but cute scene. Ties. And I found yeah. myself wondering, uh, why aren't they fucking in the dressing room? And then I was like, oh, I'm picking up on something here. This is a new Brian. Yep. So there was that very subtle moment. And then for the rest of the episode, there was no subtleties, but. Right. But like the, the fact that, you know, he's, Justin is sort of like fishing for that compliment. Holy shit. What? You look good. Bad. Laughable. 
Beautiful. I do? Does that really fit Brian? Like, it, it almost feels like he's working to do that. Yeah, totally. Which I think, which I think is, I mean, that's, I think that's totally appropriate. That's a great way to play that. Uh, <laughs> and that, yeah, that doesn't quite suit Brian. It uh, furthers the point with the erectile dysfunction advert. For, first of all, the client was named Miss Dixon. I mean, come on. <laughs> Did you pick up on that? Oh, uh, that's the first note I have on this episode <laughs> is Miss Dixon who works for an ED medication. I mean, come on. It's like, it's a li- try harder. Like, <laughs> this show has, has been known to be on the nose. This is, a, this is, this is on everything now. Like, come on. Yes. <laughs> uh, second of all, I kind of groaned out loud when Brian uh, once again leveraged the gay dollar. Because uh, that's such a tired old story. And we used to joke about how that's the only way that Brian can sell things is to the gay community. And I was really happy when Mr. Remsen said sex no longer sells. And then I was thinking, well, I guess Kinetic is out of business. <laughs> yeah, right. Brian's a one trick pony. Um, this he story comes back. He, yeah, he only knows how to sell things using sex. But the, what's really funny is considering how much flack we've given Brian for his one his one skill set here is the moment where i'm like oh no i think this absolutely works and it's very tongue-in-cheek and i think very edgy to have it like the wife and the boyfriend i thought that was really really funny (laughs) yeah the only thing uh missing was put them in bathtubs on the beach Let's talk about Brian's stag party. Something that jumped out at me was Ben Bruckner was really excited to see Brian show up and get him a drink and roasting him. And I'm thinking, who is this guy? Why is Ben like a BFF of Brian? That's never been the case. Ben's entire personality, it always felt like, will turn for the convenience of what the storyline is going to be. It's, (laughs) you know, it's. I feel like we've, always veered off from the very first time we met Ben when he's supposed to be, you know, this Buddhist uh, college professor, you know, very Zen. And then he changes every which way to just sort of fit the needs of whatever the the primary storyline is. Something I'm not clear about, Justin and Brian aren't going to have an open marriage, right? That's why there's all this drama around Brian, like losing his mojo. He doesn't really, he's not losing his mojo. He's just like, he, I guess in his mind, open relationship, sand, like without the marriage part is somehow, he's somehow separating everything. But I guess like marriage is the one where it's like, oh no, open marriage don't exist or something. And I'm like, no, that's not, um, yeah, it's just never a thing. And that, that's in not how that works. Story. <laughs> Like you, you like you could absolutely have an over, but yeah, he, you're right. He seems to want to like shut that down. So like when this overtan dancer comes over, who's apparently going to also sleep with Brian, I thought he was just going to get a lap dance, but no, this, this, he was like, no, go have fun. I'm like, oh no, you did the dancer know he was being signed up to be fucked by Brian? Probably. (laughs) He's probably going to do it anyway. (laughs) It might've been the same hooker that Brian bought Justin for his birthday one year. Do you remember mm, that? No, this dancer a was a little bu- <laughs> no, this one was a little buffer. Mm. Yeah. So we see the first, uh, very first indication that Justin is on to something uh, not quite right with the universe here. We see him giving a couple looks to Brian like, what? what? Why didn't you just go get your dick sucked by this guy? I, I like that it was subtle. I like that we weren't being beat over the head. We, we get beat over the head later, but 
at least in right. this moment, it was <laughs> it was very subtle, and I like that. But but this is I, I think this is a really fascinating thing to bring up because wasn't this something he was always looking for in Brian? This feeling of deep commitment and like respect w- with each other that. <laughs> it seemed like that's why he like went off with Ethan. Um, and now, yes. and now Brian is, and now Brian is sort of becoming all of that. He's becoming Ethan while being Brian. And suddenly Justin doesn't like it. <laughs> yeah. It's like, he's like a cat, you know, they always like, yes, come over here and pet me. But as soon as you pet them, like get the fuck away from me. You know, <laughs> there's a scene with Gus as the ring bearer that I thought was the cutest scene of all. It's Brian and Gus warming up for the ring bearing. And then mm-hmm. that cunt Melanie came in and spoiled it. May I have the rings, please? <laughs> <laughs> Good boy. You get a kiss for that. Better late than never. You finally grew a heart. <laughs> I thought they were going to just like sit back and enjoy this like really adorable moment. Yeah, she's like. Finally grew a heart. I'm like, it was always there. Yeah. It was just covered under a lot of ice. It's fine. Yeah, I mean, she, come on. She clearly hasn't been paying attention for five years because I at least never once thought that Brian didn't love his kid to death and would like kill and maim anyone that would hurt that kid. So Right. I mean, do we not remember? there and there's a moment that happens right in this scene where there's a flashback to his to Gus's almost bris. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great episode. Like he was, he, <laughs> he wasn't he wasn't too keen on the idea of them circumcising Gus. So yeah, he cares about this kid. So then they make nice, Melanie and Brian, but this scene really served to give us a little bit of Brian doubting the wedding. So we saw Justin's doubt at the stag party. This was Brian's moment to doubt it. I'm still pissed that we're told that Justin has to sacrifice his career as a painter to marry Brian though. It's Justin's gift to us. Going away present. I feel like Gertrude's dying. Well, you're not that heavy yet. No, I mean, it's like having a Picasso before he becomes Picasso. He really is good, isn't he? Better than good. That's why you better be good to him, considering what he's sacrificing to be with you. That just doesn't make any sense to me. Like, we've talked about in past episodes. He can't do both. That mansion in the country, the Downton Abbey mansion... Doesn't have a studio for him to paint in. Oh, sure, but I but I spoke on that the other times that we've brought it up, and that he has been burned so many times that there's only so many times someone wants to experience that. Plus, he's he's young; he could end up finding some other you know passion or love or something. Because remember, like he went off to Hollywood and he watched those dreams dash away, and he's like, "Well, okay, cool. Now I know I can't trust L.A. What's going to make New York any different?" Well, we also talked about when he was in L.A., he didn't try very hard to find his next gig. It was just like, get out of the guest house. And all of a sudden, he's back in Pittsburgh. (laughs) It's like, you know, ask around. It's like, work your contacts. Maybe he's he's like me. I'm not a fan of LA, so. Yeah, that's true. I can can pass. (laughs) There's a really weird scene here that I thought was kind of out of place, which is Brian and Michael having lunch in suits. Doesn't matter to me if you're naked, as long as you're there to give me away. Oh, well, in that case, maybe I should wear my black leather pants. What, you mean the ones you wore? The first night we went to Babylon? <laughs> they were so tight you could barely move. I know, my balls were killing me, and that shirt you were wearing. What's wrong with the shirt I was wearing? No self-respecting pimp would be caught dead in that. <laughs> I looked pretty hot. You did look pretty hot. I don't know, but I, I thought that visual of Brian and Michael in the window as what we're supposed to believe are like 18-year-olds was just goofy. 
I could have gotten through that scene with just the words. I didn't need that gimmicky shot of them, like Brian and his floral print shirt and Michael yeah. in leather pants <laughs> looking yeah, like that, children. That, that seems to be a, a gimmick that happens in a lot of shows, but I only find it successful in... Uh, uh, comedy series where they put the the like that character. I see it a lot on a uh, blackish. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they'll they'll put Tracy Ellis Ross and Anthony Anderson in like the scenes when they're like teenagers, and it's really funny. Here, I, I know it's like a brief moment, but like, yeah, why we could they could have hired two day players to play the young versions. <laughs> Did you pick up on uh, the role reversal going on here? It seemed like Michael was the one wondering how the hell he ended up as a grown up when in fact. He was always giving Brian stick about not doing yes. it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He seems like so confused. Like, when did we grow up? It was like, you've been touting for this for like a season and a half. Like, is it only you've only started to realize it because now Brian is getting married, which you lambasted for so long for not doing the exact. <sighs> this episode kind of had a feel <laughs> of. Like they didn't know it was going to be canceled. And then the network let them come back to do like a one off, tie it all together. <laughs> but it wasn't. This is, a, this is a planned exit. <laughs> so there's a, this scene with Brian and Justin in bed together. And this is where uh, things start to fall apart between those two. Uh, this mm-hmm. is a good scene, uh, even though I didn't quite believe it. I'm just not buying the whole Brian transformation bit. It, it seems like he flipped off the slut switch. And became a totally different person, sort of like how Tad does. We'll talk about Tad in a little bit, but yeah, we'll talk about Tad. Yeah, there's this there's this thing that like because you're getting married, that turns off even just the sex switch. Mm-hmm. Like, no, we're gonna have a quiet night at home, and we're just gonna cuddle. Cuddle. Like, no, what? Yeah, married couples do have sex. It is a thing. It that is cuddling okay. sounded kind of cool though. I like that. I'd do that. Listen, I'm a huge <laughs> fan of that. Like. And trust and believe this weekend, I got a lot of cuddling and it was great. So (laughs) it was, yeah, yeah, it's been a good time. Uh, But yeah, I I don't I don't understand this whole uh, Justin not liking this new Brian. And (laughs) I'm like, but you. Yeah, this this is what you wanted for five years. You yearned for this. This is exactly what you wanted. And Brian has given it to you. But I also see that Justin is trying to say, like, I don't want you to just change everything about you. Like. I fell in love with the Brian that I knew five years ago. Brian Kenny fucks, sucks, rims, rams, but never cuddles. Okay, so I used a word that offends your sensibilities. Forgive me, I apologize. I'll never do it again. No, it's more than just that. Every day we get closer to being married, the person I know gets further away. I'm right here. But it's not you. Looks like you, feels like you, but you, you would never go to your own stag party and not fuck every hot guy in sight. You would never be more interested in gardening than getting laid. I'm just trying to make you happy. I want you to do what makes you happy, not me. Uh, from the moment he saw that Tudor Revival house was all in. He was not going to be a painter. He was going to be Brian's wife and live happily ever after doesn't matter who it is but then all of a sudden he realizes like wait a minute i don't want that which i think is fine but we would need a little bit more for him to round that corner other than just seeing that hey brian's not like banging the stripper hey brian doesn't want to fuck at hugo boss 
hey, Brian wants to cuddle. That's enough for him to like U-turn on his his mansion, his Downton Abbey dream. Apparently, and at this point, I would have been like, Justin, tag me in. <laughs> I'm happy not working anymore. I'm happy keeping. I am thrilled with the idea of keeping the house at home in my giant mansion and drinking during the day and letting the help do everything else. I'm good. <laughs> I'm all for being kept. So this uh, rehearsal dinner, uh, first of all, hi, Daphne. Doesn't Daphne she looking great? great. <laughs> she <Yes>. looks fantastic. <laughs> she doesn't even say much. And all I was thinking is like, hey, Daphne, she let a bitch know. I was like, yeah. This must have been just like a little gimme. Like, we got to have her back just for this one episode. Because she really had no role in this. She was just there. <laughs> yeah, she, didn't, yeah she, she didn't do anything to, you know, advance any moments in in this particular right. scene it was just well daphne has to be there because you know she and justin are you know like this uh but then she's like hold on but let me turn the look and yeah like, <laughs> okay so i had a question about rehearsal dinners is a rehearsal dinner like a real rehearsal do you like do a dry run of the wedding you like do a walkthrough and everything and then you go have dinner? No. uh well okay sort of yes so the last uh, wedding that I went to, I was actually in, um, we did a, a dry run of like, okay, this is how we're going to walk in. Or like, these are the people that we're going to be walking in with, and this is where you're going to turn, and this is where, you know, this is when we're going to say this, that, and the other, and then you walk out. So yeah, you do a sort of a rehearsal of like, you uh, you step through the, the ceremony, so you know where you're going. And then what we ended up doing was it was just a giant dinner at a restaurant near the venue with everybody. With, afterwards, with both though, families. right? Yeah, afterwards. Like, yeah, we didn't like then do a, a rehearsal like reception or anything. <laughs> so just like a, in this case, when Brian and Justin showed up at the rehearsal dinner, did the wedding party already go through that dry run? And No, this, <laughs> makes, it, this makes it seem like I guess they were just going to get married at the courthouse or something. And everyone was excited. It felt like just like another bachelor party, but more upscale or more intimate. Yeah, I I was a little confused by this. I I, I don't know. Maybe other maybe uh, every couple has a different definition of what a rehearsal dinner is. But yeah, the uh, usually it's you walk through the ceremony. Like right. that's the point of it. <laughs> so I guess we can assume that they walked through the ceremony and then went in there and called the wedding then off. Decided? <laughs> I'm like, you're going to tell me that you made everyone walk through this fucking thing and then say, right. Eh, no, thanks. <laughs> I would have been mad. <laughs> the fact that people were surprised that it was called off is what I thought was the funny part. We would like to thank you all for coming to our rehearsal dinner. Ah. <laughs> However, there's nothing to rehearse. The wedding's off. <laughs> no, it's true. We decided not to get married. Didn't anybody like kind of like have it in the back of their head that yeah, this isn't gonna work? They're gonna call it off. It's like all the skeptics Ted, yeah, had been won been over. Like no, I would. I think I would have loved to have if like Ted was like, Ugh, anybody, anybody else? Did, like, come on. We yeah. all know this wasn't going to happen. So, yeah, I think that would be great. <laughs> so that advertisement comes back. Brian makes an ad that the clients want, that Miss Dixon wanted, and then won't give it to them. They want to fuck. They want to shoot their loads as often as they can, as hard as they can, all night long if they can. 
not cuddle in front of the fire with some nice lady who looks like their mother. Despite your personal feelings, we want the ad. He can't have it. Because despite these conservative times, it's still all about sex. And it always will be. So I suggest that you take your business elsewhere. That was cool. But <laughs> it was great. This was also a bit of Brian's mojo in play again. They call off the wedding and all of a sudden Brian is back to no apologies, no regrets. You can't have mm-hmm. this ad. Get out of here. No apologies, no regrets. It's all well and good, but it didn't need to be like shoveled at us quite so heavily. Yeah. Well, it was a lot of pent up energy. Mm. And then just got thrown out. But this is where he shows that he deserved that ad man of the year because he makes a point that, sure, I can make this nice, quaint, quiet little advertisement for you. But you, ma'am, Miss Dixon, are not the one buying this. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I like calling her ma'am because that's what that ad reminded me of. <laughs> you are not the one buying this product. It is men who are going to buy this product so they can pound people. So, yeah, sex is going to sell when it's an erectile dysfunction. What the fuck do you think people are going to get hard for? So that's what Cialis tried to do with the bathtubs on the beach and the elderly people sitting in the tub, not really going to pound town. But it's like this awkward moment of, oh, they're going to pound. Exactly. Yeah, we're seeing the before and we all know what the after is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, some so things I, we don't so need to I, think so about. Right, but so I'm like... Brian's just cutting to the chase. Like, yes, they're yes, they're all going to like lay down and and like canoodle up on this bearskin rug by the fire, but then they're going to wreck it. Like, <laughs> that's what's going to happen. That's the whole point. I like the sound of that. Let's wreck the bearskin rug. <laughs> <laughs> so this story's uh, really picking up steam here, and uh, it's time for Justin to leave. He has a flight, so he's going. I think I finally found a place to stay. Daphne has a friend in the East Village. Finding a workspace is going to be difficult. Apparently everything costs a fortune. Couldn't uh, Brian set him up in New York? Poor Justin. No place to live. No studio to work in. Um, Brian's... You're not going to live in this house that you just bought? Brian's a multi-millionaire and artists have patrons. So why wouldn't Brian, like, set him up? Set him in a loft in Soho. Like, yeah, there are ways he could have helped him. This scene kind of got to me, though. Uh, only one thing was missing was Brian saying, I love you one last time. You didn't return them? I didn't return them. We don't need rings or vows to prove that we love each other. We already know that. But I guess this was after Brian's transformation. So after he transformed, he could never say, I love you. He has to go back to, I won't say that. What I want, I want to talk about the sex in this scene. Okay. I want to hear the what you have to of, say. I've got notes, but I want to hear yours well, first. I think I just, it was a very, I almost like a meta moment to have all the moments that say that they've had sex to be projected onto them while they have sex. Did you like that? I really dug it. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. I, I didn't like, at all. I, like, I didn't like it at all. Oh, I thought it was, I was like, you know what? You're doing something different for the finale. You're acknowledging that it is the finale, that this means something and that their physical chemistry is always going to be there. I was into it. Yeah. These flashbacks, uh, uh, 
got a hard time with those, like especially the ones with Mel and Lindsay that we'll talk about in a bit. And here it was, I don't know, it just seemed goofy and gimmicky the same way that Michael and Brian in the window of the restaurant seemed gimmicky. Okay, of, of all these like flashbacks that we see between characters, this was the one that I thought was the most interesting. The others I was definitely not a fan of, but especially the Mel and Lindsay one. But this one I just thought was a very interesting way to portray it. Yeah, I just thought so, it kind of got in the way because I wanted to see the sex. I wanted to see hot bodies rolling. You were around seeing all together. sorts of sex happening, happening but it was, I it was in other dimensions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of other dimensions, this should have been the moment that they flipped. Leave it all on the field. They have hot sessions where they're both topping, they're both bottoming. Yes. Just a free exchange of every fluid between each other. Instead, poor Justin got tore up. <laughs> and then he had to go sit on a plane for two hours. Which, that's another thing. Why is he flying to New York? Well, he's going by himself. How would he get there? You could easily take on a train. I don't know. To that's me, true. to me, Pittsburgh, like, it's the same thing as like when people are like, who live in Boston. They'll take a train to New York. D.C., they'll take a train to New York. They don't fly. I think that's a kind of a minor thing in Justin's departure. His sure. mode of transport. <laughs> For some reason, it stuck out to me. I mean, Mel and Lindsay could have dropped him off for all we know. <laughs> right? <laughs> well, mm, Toronto's, yeah. So uh, Brian's all alone in the loft. That was kind of sad. It was just that fade out of Justin. Justin literally faded out. It's hard to believe that they couldn't make a long distance relationship work and that this had such a sense of finality to it. We never saw Justin again. He was done. Series wrap on Justin. <laughs> Thank you, Randy. Go home. It's a two-hour flight. Like they, I mean, Justin makes point of it. Like, we'll, we can continue to see. We can. We will always. We could always see each other. I'll be back, and you'll come there. We're gonna see each other all the time. You don't know that. Neither do I. Whether we see each other next weekend or next month, never again. Doesn't matter. It's only time. Mm, yeah, Brian was but not you're, very you're, non-committal you're right. on that. <laughs> but you're right, yeah. Like, Justin definitely feels like this is still going, but I think you're right. I think Brian's like, oh, no, I'm out. I totally fell for this, though. I was, like, so moved. <laughs> oh, yeah, there were, you know, I know we're, it seems like we're talking a lot of shit about the episode, but I really liked it overall as we, we'll go through the other plots of it. But, no, I was... I thought it was a good finale, and I'll go through it. Okay, yeah. <laughs> well, let's talk about this Babylon scene at the end and see if this was a good finale. Okay. I didn't like that scene at all. Really? I believe that we're supposed to think that to know who you are, you have to know who you've been, and that the fabulous play goes on, or the thumpa thumpa in this case. Is that what we're supposed <laughs> to think? So the thumpa thumpa continues. It always will. No matter what happens, no matter who's president, as our lady of disco, the divine Miss Gloria Gaynor, has always sung to us, we will survive. It ends in the same place that it started, as if like everything that happened was a dream. Michael woke up and he was like, whoa, where am I? I think it was more a point because something that we don't actually get is we don't get a result on the, the Prop 14. Yeah, I didn't care about that. Well, I mean, for something that was such a huge deal, I mean, they 
cool. Yeah, they blew up the bar over it. They blew up the bar. They blew up like the main bar of this entire series. Right. I think that was rather important in that, okay, we as an audience don't know what the results are of Prop 14, but to say that you're not going to scare us away. Homosexuality has been around for, at least we know between humans, thousands of years. Wasn't that Michael's message to the to the press yeah, conference? That we, right. And that, and as he points out with the whole, and especially with the name of this episode, we will survive to see Babylon built up again, still dancing, living out the life that we demand. I mean, that I thought that was kind of really moving and powerful. And I liked that, that we are going to go on. We'll be back with more Still Queer as Folk. We're almost done with Liberty Avenue, but this fall, we're back. Back where it all started, the original Queer as Folk, UK. I was just a shag. I knew that. I suppose I fell in love a bit. Like you do. I thought, I'll never see him again. How was I to know? Stuart Allen Jones. Six months later, he was begging me to stay. Still queer as fuck. I told you about that, did they? Slowly. Can I see you again? You can see me now. Nathan, where have you been? Piss off. Oh, now, your little friend. I could meet you tonight. God knows where I'll be tonight, you know? I could be anywhere. I could be in Ipswich. Come on, boys, give us a kiss. I'll give you a good fuck, you tight little virgin. You won't be laughing then. We're going now, Stuart. Just shut your face and drive. Can I see you, though? Oh, you'll see me, all right. You can't miss me. Say a fond goodbye to Brian, Michael, and Justin. And meet Stuart, Vince, and Nathan. Join us starting December 4th as we take on Queer as Folk UK and 10 special episodes of Still Queer as Folk. All right, so runners for the night. I call these wrap-ups instead of runners. Normally we call them runners, but here we're really just wrapping these up because there's nowhere to run because these characters are done. And so... The first wrap-up uh, is Emmett and Ted and Tad. So the social gym is back. This is a different gym. I think this is probably like the fifth gym that we've seen in the series. They keep I think going they have memberships gyms. at every single one. That's right. So Emmett rightly calls out Ted about creepy Tad. How long have you known Tad? Three weeks. And you decided to cancel your plans to be with your friends on your birthday in order to be with him. Do some pack deck. Those lycra ski suits are unforgiving. Teddy, I don't want to talk about it. You're just feeling jealous because I finally found the love of my life. I thought it was weak for Ted to call Emmett jealous of him, though. Yeah, that's such an easy that's such an easy thing to say. Oh, you're just jealous. Yeah, because these guys have been through hell and back. They have a level of understanding and familiarity with each other that should transcend jealousy by now. After all, Emmett was banging a professional football player. What does he have to be jealous over? Right. He was getting that Drew Boyd dick touchdown every single night. Ted, you can have Tad. Okay. But then Emmett apologizes at the stag party. And I'm like, oh, man, he just like compounded this like tiny little thing that I hated by making him apologize. I hate it when characters do something and come back and go, I'm sorry. Right. To, to like just sort of like end end the whole conflict because Emmett has a point. He has known Tad for three fucking weeks. <laughs> right. <laughs> three weeks. 
I've seen that happen before. The the one guy that's never dating anybody, like somebody comes along and just reels them the fuck in. Mm-hmm. It just turns into this single white female type of relationship. So the stag party uh, with Ted and Tad in it, there's a lot going on in this stag party, come to think of it. I could see this start to boil up between the two. So the, the minute that Ted like calls a bartender by name and then Emmett shows up, and I'm like, oh, I, I can totally see where this is going. And it didn't disappoint. Ted, would you stop? What's wrong? What happened? How could you do that right in front of me? Like I was invisible. Do what? You know perfectly well. I really don't. You want a list? How about coming on to that bartender? <laughs> Ringo? I wasn't coming on to him. I was telling him about you, and he was congratulating me. He gave us free drinks. Uh-huh. And what about your beloved Emmett? I thought you told me that was over. It is over. Emmett is a friend, that's all. Oh, really? Well, it looked like a lot more than that to me. Well, whatever you think it looked like, I was socializing. Nothing You more. can call it whatever you want. I call it being a slut. Excuse me? You heard what I said. Well, I'm not going to put up with that, okay? I should never have gotten involved with you in the first place. Why don't you go back to your friends? I never want to see you again. Fuck you! That scene was, that conversation scene was almost a little triggering for me because I once dated a guy that <sighs> was sort of identical to tad to the point of where i seriously thought he was going to attack me instead of just yelling at me yeah there are quite a few people i know who are exactly like that yeah i dropped that guy on the spot i haven't been banned right. from the bar for a month too whoa <laughs> yeah that's back when i had some clout it, it seemed like no one else really watched or like saw this guy lose his mind in the bar well then he shows up at ted's house and i'm like whoa Ooh, no. <laughs> I'm not going to be ignored, Ted. Well, at first I was thinking, oh, Ted, come on, give him a second chance. No. Get him on the right meds. Everything will be fine. And then he says, I'm not going anywhere. And I'm like, whoa. Yeah, but it's only because I love you and you love me. You know you do. I love the person I thought I knew. I'm still the same person. Well, I'm not. Now, I want you to go. I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> Right. Exactly. I'm like, uh, nope, nope, no. Nope. Next thing you know, he's going to be boiling, boiling a rabbit. So like, let's get him out. <laughs> so I, I appreciated Ted going like, oh, nope, get out, lock the door. But then can you, I mean, can you imagine being Ted's neighbors and hearing this guy going, Ted, Ted, slam, 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 bang, bang, bang on the door. I can't believe you're doing this. I trusted you. I loved you. I thought you were a good person. I am a good person. No, you're shit. Who the fuck do you think you are treating me like this? No! I said I want you no. out. I said Ted. I want you out. Ted. Get the Ted. fuck out. Ted! Open the door. Ted. 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 Ted, please. Open the door. I kind of had a problem wow. with that because if the physicality that it took for Ted to get the guy out of the condo and then close the door and then hit the, the deadbolt on it, first of all, he could have kicked in that door. It's like, Ted, you need to call somebody like oh, 911. I was, ready, I, was, <laughs> I was ready for him to kick in the door. Yeah, totally. Or like do something much more violent than like the, you know, that sort of cat scratch at the doors. I was ready for him to like shoulder his way in or something because that was that was terrifying. Yeah, either call 911 or Drew Boyd, one of the two, or Carl Horvath mm. for that matter. <laughs> right. Somebody come over here. I, there's a guy outside my door and he won't leave and he's crying. <laughs> Help. Help. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. 
So this gets a little crazier when they go to the ski lodge. Evan and Ted go to the ski lodge. It's like, sheesh, that's a big chance. It's like, Tad knows where you're going to be. He knows you're going on this trip because he planned it. I expected him to like pop up at the ski lodge, like behind the furniture or like looking through mm-hmm. the window or something like that. Right. Yeah, that was that was quite a bold move to say, because like, yeah, I, uh, Tad seems like the kind of person who would absolutely spend money to then take a flight and follow them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That would have been great. All we needed was like five more episodes. We could have shaped this show up. (laughs) I started to think that Ted and Emmett were about to get back together in front of the fire at the ski lodge, especially after Ted's speech. This year, I think I'm going to wish for something else. The wisdom and the maturity to realize that I don't find what I want by looking for it. Not expect someone else to give me what I never gave myself. I'm not a half waiting to be made whole. And even if that special person never comes along, I'll be just fine. I think Dave, I think we I think we've done enough of what their relationship is that the show would have completely lost me if they had done that. So I like the fact that they were able to acknowledge that they, like you had said earlier, they've been through hell and back and they are absolutely gonna be the best of friends to get them through this. So I really loved it that Ted has this really great speech about like not like about how this love is going to happen organically and you can't force it to happen blows out the candles and there's blake huge fan he's on the gay ski team of course and it's gay ski week it's like i want to go to gay ski week (laughs) when does this happen (laughs) this was a great way to go full circle with ted's story because blake Mm -hmm. almost killed ted in the first episode and then ted goes through hell and back And then ends up right back with Blake in a much better circumstance. So once again, the Ted stories deliver. It makes me so happy. Something that didn't make me happy was Calvin Culpepper. Pardon me, but aren't you Emmett Honeycutt of the Hazelhurst, Mississippi Honeycutts? Yes, I am. And uh, you are? Oh, my God. You're Calvin Culpepper. <laughs> the honey, the Hazelhurst honeycut. Hey, honey. <laughs> so, okay. You know, it was better than the, that jambalaya guy. Oh, I love that guy. <laughs> the thing with Calvin Culpepper, though, is Emmett's uh, circle through the whole series is left unknown. Everybody else is finding these moments of happiness or new beginnings and we get some like rando character that we've never heard of. Why couldn't this have been like Drew Boyd? Drew Boyd had gone off on his like little I'm 15, I need to fuck everything in sight and then came back to Emmett. Why couldn't we have like a feel good moment for Emmett? Well, Emmett gets that because uh, he's there at at Babylon too. We don't know who this Kelvin Culpepper guy is though. He's he's not the end all be all for Emmett. He's just like some random stranger that showed up. But I feel like that's right for Emmett. You wouldn't have wanted him to see to see him married to you. I don't think every I don't think every character needs to have like that exact match happy ending. This is great for I think this is great for Emmett. It's a great way for him to because I think he's always had really strong roots to his home. I mean, he loves to acknowledge his roots in that way. But they chased him out of there. I'm a fan of it. <laughs> That's what I'm going to say. <laughs> you just like that Southern boy, that Calvin Culpepper. I mean, I was into that. Yeah. <laughs> this is still Queer as Folk. Stick around. Got more to come.
so the next wrap up that we've got is uh, Michael Ben and Hunter. So this was kind of a weird wedge story. So Michael yes, I is agree. a spokesmodel, or he's approached to be a spokesmodel. We want to show the general population that the gay community is not just the transvestites and leather daddies they see at the gay pride parade. But for the most part, it's people like you, with a partner, a home, a family, who are victims of this unspeakable act of violence. But what do I have to do with it? We want to introduce you at the press conference. Have you say a few words? Uh, this was great. I liked how they wanted a heteronormative spokesperson. And who better than Michael version five, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> but this played out as a bit of a repeat of season one when inappropriate people showed up at Dr. David Cameron's architecturally perfect mid-century modern house. Remember like Debbie and her troop showed up? Yes. One of my, fa- one of my favorite gifts. <laughs> Yeah, that we made. <laughs> and so I don't know why this was even here. It was just to give Michael a moment of soapbox. I don't know. I could I could just see this whole thing coming a mile away. And I thought it was very unusual right. that Debbie just kind of went quietly to the back row without throwing a fit and screaming and yelling. Yeah. So it's very strange. And also, I mean, first of all, this whole committee for the human rights, obviously another organization that has an HR and a C in it. Uh you know, slipping in to, you know, try and get that photo moment. And that whole erasure of the queer community was real gross to me. <laughs> like, and I think this is also a, a, a nice critique on these kinds of organizations where it always feels like it's the goal to show how queer folks are just like straight people. It's like, no, there's a wide variety of queer folks that exist and you don't get to erase them to like make the ones that are, that can make straight people comfortable. It made me wonder if Michael even bothered to read the speech first or if he's just like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go up here and read oh, whatever he you want like, me to read. He looked like they, he looked like they had handed him the paper, not five minutes before sitting down and he was going to sit. he, you know, we know he's such a caveman that it really felt like he was reading it for the first time. <laughs> I did like his impromptu speech, though. I thought that was okay. Oh, yes. Oh, I love that. Minus the the T word that he decided to use. Uh, But the sentiment of it, I really, really liked. To acknowledge that there are, these are all part of queer people, and we don't get to erase them just because there's a version of what straight people are. So Hunter is back in the Novotny Bruckner family, complete with the HNB journal. But I had a question about this. This is a nice feel-good moment, but they're about to adopt a 17-year-old kid for, like, one year. What's this? It's a journal. You write stuff in. HMB. They're your initials. You'd like them to be. Hunter Novotny Bruckner. Instead of being our foster son, we'd like you to be our real son. That is, if you'd like us to be your fathers. You mean you want to adopt me? as soon as possible in case Prop 14 passes. Didn't they pretty much already do that in a previous episode in court when Hunter's mother was there? I don't think it's so much that they officially adopted him, but they at least gained like custodialship over him or uh, or guardianship over him. Maybe Melanie fucked it up while she was doing law. <laughs> she gave him yeah, the wrong doing form. law, sure. Yeah, um, I cried. Well, this was like one of those things where, okay, this is like a true like wrap it up moment. I'm kind of surprised that they they like moved him off the show in the first place. Yeah, I wasn't a fan of that. So I was a real fan of him coming back and them giving him that gift and saying like, and, and yes, well, 
officially he would be a minor only for like another year. He now gets to carry their name. And that's that's what I found so moving. And while it was hokey, it worked. It worked. For, it worked on me. I don't say it worked for me. It worked on me. Yeah, I'm glad he was in the episode <laughs> because if, if Conan Littman had just like let him leave the show the way that he did and we never heard from him again, I would have been so pissed off. Oh, same. I wonder if there's fanfic around Hunter, like a continuation. Oh, I'm sure we can find some. So the probably the least important wrap up story was Melanie and Lindsay. So they're packing up. I keep telling myself it's just a house bunch of not very grand or even spacious rooms, but everywhere I look, I see us. Like over there, at Gus's Briss. You two, in the kitchen, now. You mean his almost Briss? Or the front gate, where I proposed to you? <laughs> or the time I was sitting there and you told me. I'll stay until after the baby's born. Basically, the only story the lesbians had here was to reminisce about the times they spent in their house together. Their story more or less wrapped up last episode when they decided mm-hmm. to move away. And got the approval to move away. Yeah. So they drive away. Um, it it kind of seemed like a boneheaded move for them to leave Pittsburgh. Because remember, they said that you know they can't possibly live in this world of Proposition 14 or et cetera. But we don't even know if it passed or not. They were kind of like premature and leaving and they're leaving everything they know behind. They're five hours away. <laughs> no, their reasons for leaving just seemed a little thin. I understand it. Like, I would much rather live in a country that um, thinks of me as a person. So Sure, but yeah. very few but, people actually do something about it. It's like all the people that say, if such and such is reelected, I'm leaving the country. Mm, yeah, like maybe like one uh, one in a thousand people actually do that. I would say one in a million people have the uh, resources to do that. That that's a whole that's a whole other conversation. So I understand what they're I understand the reasoning behind why they want to do what they want to do, but they're also going to a place that's not that far from where they live and where they have a. There's like a motorcycle or something. Yeah, I hear that. Just <laughs> Jesus Christ. Ugh. It's the lesbians in their Subaru. <laughs> it's what's her face back. Lita. Lita's back. It's Lita. Lita's outside. She's helping me, you know, <laughs> do some work in the, around the house. Um, I'm going to leave that in. <laughs> okay. I No, but I'm like, they are only five hours away. It's, I don't think it's that big of a deal that they've decided to up and leave. But I mean, what else do we expect in terms of what this show how this show treats the lesbian characters. It had kind of this weird sense of finality as they drove away. I was envisioning their empty house in the background. All the times it was like this focal point for other stories. And Mm -hmm. I suddenly felt like, damn, it's like they killed them off or something. Yeah. And I also like really didn't (laughs) those flashbacks that they got, they weren't all really um, happy memories. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> you know, like they, they, the they recall, yeah, they recall when they were breaking up and when they were, uh, when Brian disrupted the bris and like all this stuff. And I'm like, did you all have like happy moments here? Cause maybe it is a good thing that you're leaving. 
Well, that's why I, I'm not a fan of them leaving Pittsburgh. I, I feel like season or series finales can work best if stories are just frozen in time so that in theory, they could be picked up again as if like nothing much happened, some time passed or something like that. But to have these these like wrap up moments of characters, I just don't like because you, you can't bring these characters back to life. This is your last chance, really. And so leave, leave them frozen in how we want to remember them. We don't want to remember them like driving away, away from their empty house, which by the way, I was like super cute. I don't know. I just like the way that the lesbians wrapped up. Justin leaving for New York, got it. Lesbians and two children just driving away, mm, nowhere to go with that. Okay, let's talk tops and bottoms for this episode. What was your top? Okay, I have a lot. Oh boy. I really liked that they didn't give us a clear ending to the Prop 14 story for the finale. I loved Hunter's adoption. I actually really liked that Justin was able to actually go and pursue his dreams in New York. I really enjoy that Ted found Blake again and that that meant a happy ending for Ted after all the hell he's been through. So basically you liked everything that I just like said <laughs> we shouldn't do. <laughs> I even liked Babylon's reopening. Oh, bump it, bump it. And, and you know what? Even Emmett found someone. So those are all of my tops. We think he found someone. He was there at Babylon. So at this point, I'm saying he found someone. Yeah, Justin wasn't at Babylon. Lesbians weren't at Babylon, so... I guess that was real. Brian uses magic powers to bring Babylon back to life. It's like the flying Jeep moment. <laughs> For the rest of our podcasting career, instead of having jumped the shark, we're going to have the flying Jeep moment. Great. <laughs> <laughs> so my top was uh, Justin finally leaving because he's faux left Brian so many times in the past that I found it really refreshing that he finally pulled the trigger and did it. Granted, it was a sad and not too likely outcome. But that story worked for me. I just didn't like the notion that uh, we'll never see each other again. Goodbye. Let's have one last fuck. Okay, now goodbye. <laughs> what was your bottom? I'm not going to have any bottoms for the finale. Really? Yeah. I'm just going to leave it like that. Frozen in time, just like the yeah. characters. Mm-hmm. So my bottom was Emmett seemingly not getting the guy the way that everyone else seemed to. He... I still think he deserved to see Drew Boyd at the ski lodge. I will say I would have been great if Emmett had Drew like dance with him at Babylon. I will leave it at that. You know what? It would have been really sweet to see like an apparition of George Schickel in the fire. Oh, <laughs> I know. Poor Emmett. Okay, we're done. This has been wow. episode 13 of season five. We will survive. And that's it. But wait, we'll be back in two weeks time to take on the original Queers Folk UK. Here's what happens in that first episode. This will sound a little familiar to you, Matt. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> On a night out clubbing, Stuart Allen Jones picks up 15-year-old Nathan Maloney right off the street. The 15-year-old part different isn't in England. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and Vince Tyler picks up someone he wishes he didn't. Elsewhere, Stuart's night is interrupted by a significant phone call. The first four episodes of the US series are pretty much mirror images of the UK series. So if you're a fan of the US version, give us a listen and see what you think of these first few episodes of the UK version. It was only 10 episodes long, and that's pretty common for UK TV series. The wrap-up series was actually only two episodes. So it, it originally ran for eight episodes, uh, went off air, and then came back for two more episodes to, to wrap it up. 
and it, it's quite good. It's my favorite. It's uh, really the reason why I watch the U.S. show. So whether or not this is your first time listening to us or you've been a longtime listener of Still Chorus Folk, we really would appreciate you leaving those five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us. And make sure you can also follow us on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter, Still Chorus Folk, Still Queer AF. You can find me on Instagram at Patrick Randall if you'd like to reach out to me directly. And you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Matthew PD. Thanks for listening. Until next time, I'm Patrick Randall. And I'm Matt Dominguez. Still Queer's Focus, a production of Slightly Unbalanced. Matt Dominguez wrote and performed the show with me tonight. Still Queer's Folk was made with love in Chicago. <laughs>